as we're thinking now about more kids, almost all kids being at home and trying to do their learning, whether it's online or through packets, or in some cases, people can just, you know, you just sort of opt out or do whatever. How do you think we should be responding? If you got to call the shots, what would you think is best for elementary or preschool students at this point? Like, Well, okay. So this is a twofold thing. First of all, I have a first grader and she is a good little student. She does her work at school. She's like, you go into the conference and there's like nothing to be said because she's just like follows the rules, does what she's supposed to. She's such a good little student. We started distance learning and it became a disaster. I mean, like she didn't want to do it. There was crying and it was like night and day from what I know of her as a student at school and what I was experiencing at home. And I was struggling so much because I was a first grade teacher. So of all the things that I know, this is at least something I do know about. And I was thinking, what is happening? You know, like, why is this, why, why are we having this hard time? Like I was excited about it. I thought she would be excited about it. And so I was talking to somebody about it and I was like, just explaining how hard this is. And the the person was like, well, here's the deal. Your daughter's a rule follower and school is where she goes. And the rule is she goes to school and does school. And when she's at home, she does home. So she does playing and being with her brother and sister and like the relaxing part of being at home and, and distance learning has disrupted all of her rules. And so I was like, ah, you know, that was like very eye opening to me from somebody who was just looking in the outside of it. So this person was like, well, you should rewrite the rules for her, you know, sit down with her and decide what is school at home look like? What are the rules that we're going to follow? How is this going to look? And let's structure it that way. And so we've done that. I'm not going to say it's perfect every day, but (laughs) it is much, much improved from where we were. And so I think when we look at the whole picture of that for all students, school looks a certain way at school. And so when we try to bring that home and we're trying to create, like, I know at the beginning of this, we saw all these like color-coded schedules and all those kinds of things. And that probably worked for some people, you know, but when we are trying to make what that looks like at home, we can't force school rules at home rules, you know? And so inviting our kids to be part of that conversation and saying, what is school going to look like at home? Whether it's what you want to start with, um, the time of day you want to do it, all of those things. I think that if you are a parent struggling with, with learning at home, I think that's an important conversation to have because I overlooked that myself. I, I wasn't looking at what part of that was hard. Cause I was thinking this is she gets to be at home in her pajamas all day and she loves that. So why is that hard? Why is this something she doesn't want to do? But I was missing that piece for her, the rule following piece. And, and little kids like rules and structure. They like to know what's coming next. They like to understand that we do this and then we do this and then we do this. So sitting down and, and restructuring school at home, I think, is one good thing for parents to do if they're having a hard time with learning at home. On top of that, I think... Learning all day is not reasonable when you're a small child. Um, So two hours is like a good max and you can split that up in chunks or try to get it knocked out in one part of the day. But two hours seems to be like adequate time for learning when you're like in early childhood and like early elementary age. And I think that the important things are, well, I'll ask Ryan. Ryan, what do you think the number one most important thing you should do with your kid at home right now is? Well, I mean, I know the answer you want. The actual number one is to hit them frequently. Uh, No. No. And, you know, and and, uh, I'm going to answer it at the end of 
what I'm about to say there, just because you're saying this, we have fallen into a very, you know, my, my son is three, he'll be four in a month. Um, and my daughter's 18, 19 months, something like that. So we weren't fully into the school thing, but he does daycare and, you know, they, they do some lessons and things like that. We have a, a daily schedule now that works pretty well. I wish I had been more purposeful about it at first, but everything was in such constant flux. And like, for me, we're having a faculty meeting. No, we're not. We're doing this and no, we're not. Things kept changing. So it was really hard to get a schedule together. And I wish I had been better about defining even just an hour of the day where we could do some like sit down, let's practice your writing. Let's do like we do these things, but they sort of fall in and out. So the most important thing of course is reading. You got to read with your kid, read to them, read with them, you know? And, and so, you know, we do a lot of that, but I do think that the schedule piece that you're pointing out is really, really important as well. I don't think this is going bad for me per se, but my kids are a little younger. Uh, I think for a lot of people, a big part of the struggle is that they don't, have a schedule that works for them or that doesn't work for their kids. I also think that some parents, but maybe more importantly, I think too many teachers are trying to recreate the classroom at home. There's all this talk about running synchronous lessons and having, you know, class meetings and everyone has to sit and talk. And it's like, that's cool. You know, I do it with my students. I do one, one meeting a week and I don't teach them anything. <laughs> I just answer questions about the work. Like I've made everything very independent. You're going to do this. You have all the links, you have all the information. You can ask me what you need, but I, I think it's a terrible idea to try to recreate the classroom in this mm-hmm. format because it's it's not the classroom and your normal social interactions aren't there. Even even just the little things you do with body language that indicate a time where this kid talks or, hey, calm down. Or like You can't do any of that. There's so many things that are different. And so I think a lot of the stress that, uh, that many people are experiencing, aside from just their own jobs and being at home and, and the rest, is the schedule piece and the expectation that school at home is somehow supposed to be like school in school. And I just, it, I don't think it makes sense in almost any setting. So, you know, at, at a minimum to your point, if you're reading with your kid and, and you'll know this better than me, I always say, you know, 20 minutes a day, every day of the week. And, and that's really maybe setting a low number for some kids and in high school. I wish it was more, but even if I could get my high school students to read 20, 30 minutes every day, that would still be for most of them enough to still build some skills and keep things going. So, you know, when all else fails, get a, get a book. <laughs> yes, you are correct. Reading to your kid, even reading aloud to any age kid. I mean, even if they're not reading to themselves, like my kids and I are reading Harry Potter right now. It's fun. They love it. We curl up, we sit and we together and we read it. It's about the conversations you're having about it. It is the story itself. Then we like read the book and we watch the movie. So then that's like, you know, so I think, Reading is a gateway to a lot of things. My kids are reading this book about the world and the atlas. And so then we're doing things with that. I think there's a lot of good lessons to be learned from books. And it doesn't have to be big, some big formal thing. Uh, I think that little kids, like preschool age, play. Play with your kids. And I know that that's hard, really hard right now because everyone's juggling meetings and schedules and phone calls and trying to do that. But cutting out 15 or 20 minutes to sit down and play with your kids. And I I talk a lot about something called guided play. And it's this idea that you interact with your, your kid playing something that they want, but you're also layering in some kind of learning objective that you're trying to get across. So if you're cooking in the kitchen and you're working on your kids working on numbers or whatever, okay, well let's make five pancakes and, and being able to build five, you know, like playing while focusing on one thing at a time, 
is proven to be so, so good for kids. I mean, it's the language that you're using when you're talking to each other. It's whatever the content that you're trying to teach them in that interaction. So the idea is when little kids are learning, well, when you, the brain works by there's neurons and synapses. And so you're building those, the synapses are the bridges between the neurons. And so you're building those. And when you're little, you're born with like bajillions of them, but the technical term. Okay. So there are an infinite number of these synapses in your brain. And what happens is the more interaction that we have with those kids and the more we repeat those experiences, those synapses stay. And if you if you lose them, if you don't do it, you lose them. So when you are two years old, you have more synapses than you will ever have in your entire life. So for these little kids, the interaction that you're having with them, whether it's doing puzzles and talking and singing songs and reading books, you are creating and reinforcing those synapses, which is all you need to be doing for them right then. It's not about like, oh, let's get the flashcards out and do the letters or the numbers or anything like that. It's any one-on-one conversations or, you know, group play or whatever it is. That's the most important thing you can be doing for them right now. And so the scientists decided they were going to study the synapses in your brain. And so the, this is like one of my favorite, this is mind blowing. Get ready, Ryan. Okay. The, the Ohio Association of Education of Young Children says that scientists have recently determined that it takes approximately 400 repetitions to create a new synapse in the brain. Unless it's done with play, in that case, it takes 10 to 20 repetitions. So when you think about playing being the most important thing we can do with kids at a young age, I mean, that right there, think about learning the alphabet, okay? So if you have 26 letters, and then you have 26 uppercase letters, and then each of those letters make like 30 sounds. When you put that out in terms of straight learning them or learning them with play, the numbers are just drastically different. So I think to relieve some of the pressure that parents feel right now to not be the replacement of school, if you can read with your kids, if you can play with your kids, I think that's all you have to do. For parents who are trying to figure that out, like, you know, if if we can't spend the whole day or we shouldn't spend the whole day, you know, trying to recreate the classroom or or fight with kids over lessons aside from reading. And I'm going to throw one program out because people have asked me about it and I don't really know anything about this, but are things like ABC mouse, are there learning games or things that you would recommend that help to replace some of that skill building? Like, right. Um, I think there's apps that do that are fun and engaging and kids like them. And I'm not against that at all. You know, especially right now when parents are like, oh my gosh, I've got to be on this call and I can't have my kid screaming, running through the thing. I don't like ABC mouse. My kids have done it. They liked it. I think that, okay. So in general, here's how I feel about early childhood education. Technology is a great tool, but it really is a tool because kids can't learn everything from technology, especially at that age. They can't read. So they can hear what they're supposed to do sometimes because they'll read it to you. There's a lot of guessing that goes on, but those apps don't give that kid specific feedback about what they're doing. So if they're guessing the wrong answer, it'll tell them it's wrong. But what if they're thinking something on the right, like they're going in the right direction, but they get turned off at the last second. They're not learning from that. They just learn that the answer is wrong. Right. So what's really important is the immediate feedback for the specific child. And that's why learning some of these things is really a good mix of 
parent feedback and technology to be able to get the most learning out of the kid, if that makes sense. Like the parent can sit there with them and be like, I see how you were going to pick the square, but really the rectangle is, doesn't have sides that are all the same. It's more stretched out, you know, like that kind of feedback. So the kid goes, Oh, I see what you mean. The next time they can get it where if they just hit the wrong button and they think they're just wrong, but they didn't get to learn why they're wrong. If that's the same rate, like do your kids watch Mickey Mouse Clubhouse? Uh, a little bit, a little bit. Yeah. My kids love that. And they ask the questions and they pause and they give the, like, they give you the chance to answer and then they give you the answer. So at first you're thinking, oh, wow, they like are, are teaching them things. But like my kid stands there and says the wrong answer every time. She's not <laughs> learning anything, you know? So it's, it's not just the technology. It's the technology with the personalized feedback to my kid where I'm like, oh, you're so close, but yeah. <laughs> being able to do it, that is the learning. And so, well, and, and you can, you can fake it, you know, but you can, you can fake that with repetition. And that's where, um, I forget what book it was. It's, it's a Malcolm Gladwell book, maybe the tipping point, I think yeah. where he talks about like how blues clues, everyone yeah. thought it was going to be so stupid, but because they replayed the episode and replay the episode, the kids by the end of the week know everything. <laughs> and it, it seems like they've learned all this and then, you know, did they or not, you know, who knows? And I always thought that was really funny, but like, so now, you know, we, we don't do much TV at all. Like, well, I don't want to say that. That's lately we do TV at night. Like you get done dinner, we play a little bit yeah. and the kids get to pick like two TV shows or one short movie. But mm-hmm. until dinner time, the TV doesn't yeah. go on. Yeah. And, um, and then after you're done eating, you, know, you get to do that. And so now I'm trying to like go back and I just repeat the episodes for them. So I'm like, I don't know if they're learning it or not, but in case that is working, whatever. I was annoyed by the show the first time. The fifth time is I'm just annoyed the same. It doesn't matter. Right. Um, yeah, I, I just I, the reason I, I brought up ABC Mouse was I just I know that one's popular, and a few people had asked me. You know, I, I told you that people had contacted me who've listened to the podcast and said, "Hey, could you talk to someone elementary ed or early childhood?" And the one thing that was most commonly mentioned was ABC Mouse. So as I was trying to figure out. Someone, yeah, honestly, you know, my kid did it and they liked it. See, I, mean, I, and they I got liked it. it. Yeah. I got it. And my son, like he, he doesn't play, like we don't ever hand them a phone or a tablet and I'm not yeah. judging people who do. I just, I have an yeah, old phone fun. and I yeah. just don't do it. I'm like, whatever, yeah. sit there and play. But sitting in there with it, it's like we really had to walk him through how to do all the stuff. And even then he just wants to like feed the goldfish over and over. And like you put him in the, the, in the learning games, he goes, yeah. He does it for a little bit and he leaves. I'm like, if I just wanted him to be quiet, a TV show would have worked better, probably taught less, or I could give him crayons and a coloring book. And so at this point, I go for the crayons and the coloring book just because I get the same quiet. He gets to be creative and have fun with it. And I don't think that that's saying that the software is a bad thing. And maybe my kid's just not there yet. Like he might not be mature enough for that. I just, I just see a lot of people like grasping, you know, just grabbing anything they can to try to like help their kid. And that's where, that's why I said the 80, 20 rule and the the three R is like, if you really just think you need to be able to read and write more when you're older, but you need to read and write and and do basic math, just basic number manipulation. If you could do a little bit of that each day, I can't imagine your kids falling that far behind. So here are some other areas that are really important for early childhood. So reading, obviously, listening to somebody read to them has so many important benefits and talking to them about what they're reading. That's the other key part of it. So it's not just reading the book, but it's the conversations and you helping them make connections to the stories, whether it's something that they saw that's this, oh, we went to amusement park, just like you guys went to amusement park. Yeah. Having those conversations, incredibly important. 
fine motor skills are very, very important for kids who are early childhood. Um, I actually heard, I was listening to your episode with your wife and she was talking about doing things like working on physical therapy things through dance, you know? So it's kind of the same thing where fine motor skills are all the fine things, are all the small muscles in your hand, your wrist, and your forearm. And you don't think about that, but the reality is that's how they learn to as babies, they learn to pick food up, they feed themselves. Eventually, they learn how to brush their teeth, put their clothes on, do buttons, do snaps, tie shoes. Um, it helps with their hand-eye coordination when they need to catch a ball or play a sport. It even helps as you get older and you have jobs, like my husband's a dentist, so he uses small motor skills for everything. So fine motor things are really important, and they're easy to practice because it's Play-Doh, Legos, Magnetiles, just anything where they're moving their hands. It's lots of arts and crafts. It's painting, but it's also helping them learn how to hold pencils, like have a good pencil grip or anything. So anything where they're using their hands, really important for early childhood, because then all those things, like the, the milestones for that are holding pencils, markers correctly, scissors, that's really hard and takes a lot of practice and fine motor skill to do. Working on name recognition, which is just a between three and four, they're able to read their name themselves. So that's like just a practical life skill. So you go to daycare, you go to school, you have to be able to find your spot where you hang your coat or whatever that is, or you get to pick up your stuff at school or whatever that is. But it's also the basics of, of teaching the alphabet. So you start with the letters of their name. And once they can recognize those, then you move on to their last name. Then that's another word that they can recognize and you work with those letters. So name recognition is important. Color recognition is important. That builds a vocabulary. It's also just another practical skill. Like, hey, go get the blue plate or whatever. You know, it's, it's that. But there's also work there with sorting, matching and sorting, which is an important, like that's like a math skill really. So being able to match things together and then sort into piles, that's a good thing. Letter recognition, which is the thing that most parents are really interested in because it's the basics of what you think you need to do. Like going into kindergarten now, they, people feel like every kid has to know every letter. So we spend a lot of time with that. I think there's a lot of things that you can do to play with that. Like do it in different ways. Do it in magnets. Um, my son is a very physically active kid. So we like put post-it notes up on the wall and he takes those little squishy balls and he like throws them at the letter and then he gets to pull it off when he gets the right one. You know, just using what's around you to tailor something that's really good for your kid. My daughter loves worksheets. She would do worksheets all day if she could. So <laughs> that was really easy, you know? So here my son's like throwing things off the wall. He has a fly swatter. He's like tapping the magnets on the refrigerator, but just interacting with those things, with things they like. My son's also into cars. So we took a box and cut it open and made a parking lot with all the different letters mixed up. And so then he was like racing his cars in and flying them into the letter that we called out. And so we're like, park it in D. And then he would park it in the spot and we would get another one and he would park it again. So that's when I'm talking about guided play, that's kind of what I'm saying. Pick the thing they're interested in and then add in just a little bit of layer of whatever you want to work on with them, whether it's letters, numbers, or whatever. And then numbers are the last part. And so people often think, okay, you're kicking to count to 10, which is awesome. And every kid wants to show you that they can do that. That's like in a really important, valuable skill to them. But number sense is really a lot more than that. So it's being able to recognize the quantification. So being able to count the group, um, it's the number symbols. So recognizing that a four is actually that group of four. 
It's also being able to do just the basics or like counting what, which is called one-to-one -one correspondence. You know, you touch it and say one, two, three, four, five. And the last part is the basics of adding and subtracting. Like adding is putting things together. Subtracting is taking things apart. All of those things are things that I would pick one thing and do a day. You know, like we played with the parking lot for like three straight days, but like you could pick one thing and use that to play with for a day. And then the next day, pick something new, you know? And so I think that you'll be surprised at if you're really looking at your kid, considering what they like, and just integrating one small learning exercise into that, how much they're going to walk away learning by the end.